on volume page 1140 in these red Bibles on page 68 in your journals. Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to govern you. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Thanks, Joe. Oh, yeah, my welcome to Helen. Uh, my name is Johnny. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great uh, to be with you. But I'm going to pray uh, once more for God's help as we come to his word. Let me pray. <coughs> Father God, we thank you so much. Uh, that you are a God who speaks and who has spoken, Lord. And we thank you for your word. Help us to listen to it. Help us to delight in it. Uh, and ultimately delight in you, Lord Jesus. Uh, and help us to put it into practice in our lives uh, as we see what you have to say today. Amen. Uh, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and straight away his enemies tried to trap him. Uh, there was an odd alliance, an alliance of those who were Jewish but sympathetic to the Romans uh, and also those uh, who were incredibly opposed to the Romans. Uh, and these two sides, bizarrely, they got together 
and they plan to embarrass and discredit Jesus. Tell us what you think, Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's a clever question. Uh, If Jesus said no, he would be seen as a traitor to Caesar. If he said yes, he'd be called unpatriotic. His ministry to the Jews would be discredited. His enemies were sure they had him on the rope. They had him trapped, finally. Jesus' answer, though, genius. He asked for one of the coins, the coins they used to pay their tax. Who is on this coin, he asked. Caesar is on the coin, Jesus. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And with that one statement, he said straight away, human governments are valid and are to be respected. But he also set their limits. Caesar had his image on some things. They belong to him. There is a right place for human government, as we're going to see. But God has stamped his image on us. We're made in his image, in his likeness, the Bible says. It's probably the most important political statement ever made. We are dual citizens, citizens of the kingdom of heaven and yet citizens here in Bista. How on earth do we live as dual citizens? Here's a question. If I disappeared tonight, if you disappeared tonight, if our church disappeared tonight, would the community around us notice Would the governing authorities of Bista notice? Would my neighbours notice? Romans 12 has been all about uh, basic relationships. What does it look like now to live in view of God's mercy, in view of everything we've seen in Romans 1 to 11? How do we worship now? And particularly it's been looking at relationships, relationships between us and God, between ourselves, between one another in the church, and also between those who persecute us, those who are our enemies. And this description now of what a transformed life looks like continues. We're to be a people who in every interaction are marked by love whilst we are dual citizens. I said we live on this earth in the United Kingdom under a constitutional monarchy. We live in Bicester, found within Cherwell District Council, part of Oxfordshire County Council. That's where we are now. But we're also members of God's family, of God's kingdom, where he reigns and he rules and will continue to rule forever when this world has passed away. So how do we live? Three things. Firstly, we love the authorities by submitting to them. See that there, verse one, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, I think it's really important we just grasp the context Paul is writing into here. Um, It's easy to maybe think he was kind of writing from some sort of ivory tower But it wasn't easy to be a Christian in Rome. It wasn't easy to be Paul in Rome. It was volatile. The Jews had previously been expelled. And whilst they could return now, it wasn't straightforward. When Jesus was living and speaking, it wasn't like the government he instructed them to pay tax to was friendly to the Jews. It was an occupation. This isn't just nice theory for Paul. He's genuinely instructing the Romans in the church about how to live amidst an unfriendly government. And he says here, the default position for the Christian is submission, even with bad governments. It is calm, but qualified respect. Why? Well, ultimately, verse one, because their authority comes from God. He's established their authority and he has delegated some of their authority, his authority to them. There's one commentator who said this. He said, government is more than a nuisance to be put up with. I wonder how you think about government. It's more than a nuisance to be put up with. 
It's an institution established by God to accomplish some of his purposes on earth. God has established governments. He's established their authority, even the bad ones, and he takes them down as well. He's still in charge and he continues to be, even if we struggle to see it. And this is just more in the DNA of the whole world. The whole DNA of the world is built on this principle of submission and respect. We see it in in the Trinity with God and how they interact. God and humanity seen within families, parents and children, teachers and pupils, employers and employees, a DNA of submission and respect throughout the world. God institutes authorities. And we are not independent people as much as we hate to hear it we're not independent people it's the heart of our rebellion we've looked at it in Romans particularly Romans 3 the heart of our our sinfulness our rebellion is to think that we're autonomous to think that we have no need to respect or submit to anyone else and when it comes in how to live in our society God now is calling us to submit to the governing authorities not just if we like them but because he's established them Do we have a high enough view of government, a respect, or just a disinterest, maybe even a mocking? The call here is is clear. It's to submit and respect. But what does this look like? It's easy to say that. What does it look like? I think at its most simple level, it looks like scrupulous and joyful obedience to the laws that have been put in place generally. We should bend over backwards as Christians to submit to the authorities, to be excellent citizens. Think of uh, Mary and Joseph. A tyrannical governor, Caesar Augustus, had called a census. They had to travel for days whilst heavenly pregnant in order to fulfil his commands. And yet they still went. Or the second century Christian, Justin Martyr. He was called before the emperor at the time and he argued that the emperor, who was pretty anti-Christian, should examine the lives of the Christians to see that they, above all other citizens in the empire, were seen to be the most on it when it came to paying their taxes and living in obedience to the authorities. That they were excellent citizens, he said. I wonder if that's something we'd be able to say. What does it look like for us to be excellent citizens? Well, as a church, it will, we'll take our governance really seriously. We'll follow the rules and regulations of a charity commission. We'll put things in place around health and safety, around finance. Individually, it will look like obeying the laws, even when it comes to something we see as a bit of a pain, like a speed limit on a motorway. One direct application Paul makes here is about taxes. Verse six, this is also why you pay your taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. See, one way we contribute to the place we live in is through the paying of taxes even if they seem or are unjust again remember the context the taxation policies of the romans were notoriously discriminatory and yet paul calls the christian to submit he doesn't give a caveat here i mean also in our relationships with others with both governments and businesses and individuals we're to honor all by paying everything we owe and doing it quickly and efficiently Verse 8 calls us to leave no debt outstanding. Some have talked about this verse and what it means about debt. And I don't think as you read around it, we need to be concerned about taking out a mortgage or having a student loan. If we look at the full scope of scripture, we see there's loads of provisions about taking on debt, as well as guidelines of how to protect those who are in debt. He's talking more here around exploitative lending. But there is, there is no sin in borrowing, but there is in not paying it back. 
We're to be men and women of integrity and honour, as we're about to see later, as we love our neighbour as ourselves. This is the debt we have to one another, Paul says. This is ultimately what it looks like to be a blessing to society, to be excellent citizens. There'll be thousands of ways of applying that. And another way, I think, to submit to the authorities is to pray for them. It doesn't come up here, but I think we see that throughout the scope of Scripture. It's very hard to speak harshly to slander, to mock those who we pray for. It's probably something, well, it is definitely something we're not that good at doing here at Church from the Front. That's on us. We'll take some time after the sermon to deliberately pray for those in authority over us. It's important we do that. But what do we pray for? I was um, reading this book in this week while I was preparing A Mucky Business by Tim Farron. He's the former uh, Liberal Democrat leader an MP, a committed Christian. He's done lots to help Christians think about how to rightly engage in politics. I can commend his book to you. It's worth reading. And he suggests in one of his chapters, three broad buckets about how to pray. He talks about how we need to pray paying attention. This is challenging for me. Politics matter to God because people matter to him. And so if they matter to God, we should dedicate at least some time to understanding what's going on and why it's going on. Because I know, and I've spoken to some of you about this before, with me and Carol, I have this chat, it can be tempted just to avoid the news, can't it? It's too complicated. It's too sad. Too many things to think about. It's really understandable. But if we want to be informed in our prayer and our concern, we need to watch and listen and read the news, and then we can pray, paying attention. Pray for wisdom for yourself is his second point. He says we need to pray for discernment and wisdom so we can work out what's true and what's not true. So important in this age of utter disinformation online. We need to pray for wisdom so we can understand the issues, so we can think about them fairly with a heart of compassion and humility. Pray for wisdom for ourselves. Thirdly, pray for politicians and their families. He first asks us to pray for those authorities and their families. He says, pray for us to get the right balance in our work. I'm sure there's something a lot of us would want prayer for. But then he quotes this prayer. I don't know if you knew this, but every day before Parliament, this prayer is prayed. Rarely is it a full house, as you can imagine, but this prayer is prayed. And we're going to pray it later. Lord, the God of righteousness and truth, grant to our Queen, our King it would be now, and her government, to members of Parliament and all in positions of responsibility, the guidance of your spirit. May they never lead the nation wrongly through love of power, desire to please or unworthy ideals, but laying aside all private interests and prejudices, keep in mind their responsibilities to seek to improve the condition of all mankind. So may your kingdom come and your name be hallowed. What a prayer for us to pray and long for God to answer in our country and around the world with all that's going on. It's a good prayer. There's three ways to pray. But what about when governments and governing authorities are not acting for our good, you can't have helped, I imagine, read that thing and go, Johnny, but what if? But what if they're not acting well? What if they're not able to be respected? Is there space for any disobedience? It doesn't feel like there is here, Paul. Well, the simple answer is yes, there is space. We're to submit to the governing authorities until submitting to them causes us to disobey God. We're to submit to governing authorities until submitting to them causes us to disobey God. This passage isn't directly talking about this, but I think it's important we do briefly. Um, One example, for example, would be Acts 5. We looked at Acts last year. Peter and the apostles are commanded to stop preaching about Jesus. 
And they declared, we must obey God rather than human beings. They're then imprisoned. We see Daniel living under Nebuchadnezzar's regime, refused to stop praying to God and so he was prone to the lions. Whenever the laws of the land contradict God's law, it's right and proper to disobey, not to submit. Now, I'm aware we need real wisdom to apply this. It feels pretty impossible to outline all the situations this may be relevant to or not. Uh, It's something to maybe talk about, pray through case by case. And we found this a lot. The church widely talked about this a lot during the COVID pandemic. Different churches viewed quite differently the government mandates to stop meeting, to stop singing. We chose as elders to what we felt was honour the authorities, continue to follow the guidance, even though it wasn't law. And as long as we could meet, even though it was inadequate meeting online, we were content to submit for a time. Others acted differently on those issues, and that's okay. Verse 5 tells us to submit uh, as a matter of conscience, not just because they might punish us. There is conscience in all of these things. There may be other things as people we feel we need to challenge. Maybe some of the topics being taught about in our schools or laws being put in place about how we can minister to people in our congregations and our towns or government policies on certain things. It's worth noting, though, I think as I read this, and I read a really fascinating article, four or five pastors from four or five different countries all around the world in different countries, different places under different sort of regimes. It's worth noting here in England, we live in a time, we live with a society and a government where the opportunity for protest and appeal does allow us to resist laws we do not like in a more peaceful way often, through voting. But also we can campaign, we can protest, we can strike, we can do whatever is legal in an appropriate way when it is necessary. And Christians have often been at the forefront of resistance. Think about these three, if you recognise their faces. William Wilberforce on the left worked to abolish the slave trade from within the government. Harriet Tubman Uh, rebelled against her government, escaped slavery herself and freed many other slaves using the Underground Railroad in America. Or today, I know Terry's son-in-law here, Krish Kandaya, works with the government, regularly calls them out when it comes to their treatment of the marginalised, especially refugees. All those people have seen their faith transform them how they act. You see, the the gospel, we've been looking at it in Romans 1 to 11, or 1 to 12, all the way up, that the free gift of grace they've received as Paul's been teaching, has transformed them. It's changed them to think less of themselves and more of others. It's given them the strength to act on their convictions and bring about serious change. And that leads us quite nicely into our next point from Paul, from the sort of bigger pictures, if you think concentric circles, of the authorities to slightly smaller of our society, of our neighbours. To love our neighbour by living selflessly. Let me read it again, verse 8. To 10. Let no doubt remain, no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. It's the most radical of calls from Jesus, isn't it? I think I'm so familiar with this, to love your neighbour as yourself, but I don't often really work through its implications. See here, when he was asked to sum up the law, um, Jesus took the Ten Commandments, as he does here, as Paul does here, and he says the whole law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. Out of the overflow of our love for God, 
We're to love all those he's made in his image, as we ourselves would like to be loved. He says this is the summary of the law. The uh, great teacher Augustine famously once said, the Christian ethic is love God and do what you want. And in many ways he's right. If you love God, you can do what you want because you'll be doing what pleases him. And what pleases him is a love of neighbour outside of ourselves. What might this look like in practice? There's lots of things we could talk about, but let me offer three kind of practical things of what I think it looks like. Firstly, we love our neighbours ourselves by doing our jobs well. If we have a job, we do it well. We're going to look at this more in the new year, but work is a, a good gift from God. In the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, there was work. Adam is called to work the land and cultivate it. And our jobs are given as ways for us to serve the human community. One of the primary ways each of us loves our neighbour is for doing our jobs and doing it excellently. Working with real integrity and competency. An author, Dorothy Sayers, once said this. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church each Sunday. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Make good tables. Excellence, competency. I can think of so many examples of those in this church who work and in their work, they love their neighbour. You can outwork it. It's, I found it, I went through nearly everyone's jobs, but here's some examples. Chris, he's a building services engineer. He works hard to implement Carbon neutral, low energy designs in buildings and in doing so is loving his neighbour. Rosie helps design beautiful and useful buildings as an architect. Natalie teaches teenagers English, helps and cares for them with love and patience as they learn the subject many of them find difficult. Helen serves us as a church as she helps us operate and teaches our children all about Jesus. Vinnie Serves people maintaining and fixing their cars, helping them do all they need to do each day. I'm sorry I couldn't list everyone. Countless examples, but I really could. As I went through everyone's jobs, I really could. Includes those not working as well, maybe seeking to raise children, instilling in there a care not just for themselves, but for others, which will see them in time and even now be a blessing to many. One way we love our neighbours ourselves, we do our work excellently. We love our neighbours, we do so. A second way we serve by volunteering, by serving others with our time. Romans 12, we looked at, is about all our lives being worship. It includes our time. Our time is so very precious, isn't it? How can we continue to love our neighbours and bless our local community? Maybe through things like litter picking, joining school boards, volunteering at the food bank, getting involved in the organisation of local clubs and societies, or just being part of them and deliberately looking to live out this ethic of love could be bigger. Somebody in the church could be bigger. It could be getting involved in local and national governments. For us as a church, this has looked quite deliberate. In the last year, we appointed a deacon for community care to specifically think through how we can serve and bless our town. We said when we uh, voted in Katie that we wanted to be clear what our town needs most here is the gospel. Hopefully a year in Romans has made that clear. But as we do that, as we pray for that, we're called to live out our faith. And so the last few years has involved thinking through how we help those who are struggling in our town, especially. We've served very practically through friendship with refugees who have been moving into our town. A number of you housed Ukrainians fleeing war. 
Many give to the food bank and will have further opportunities to volunteer there in the lead up to Christmas. It's one of our jobs as elders to disciple you so that we love our neighbours, so we integrate our faith and our work, so we seek a more just and wholesome society in all that we do. We long to continue to do that as we see the gospel transforming us more and more into Christ-likeness. And we need to do that better where we've been lacking at doing that. I want to flag a note in Town Church Weekly for the last few weeks to that vein. The food bank are looking for a new manager, 18 to 20 hours a week, a reasonably good salary. We'd love it if someone from town church was able to serve in that way. Would you pray about that? If you've got the capacity to do that? So we serve and we love. And finally, we love our neighbours. Think about concentric rings coming in slightly tighter. Showing hospitality to your neighbours is the most basic way of doing this. And who is our neighbour? Jesus famously answered this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Anyone around us, regardless of their ethnicity or their status, not just those who are like us, or those we get along with quite easily. We're to love all around us as we would want to be loved. Locally, I don't know how you found it, but I found COVID, I thought, was great for many of us. It gave us a reason to easily set up things like WhatsApp groups where needs could be expressed and many people were served. If I reflect on me now having moved somewhere different, I found that harder, more difficult. I had to look in the mirror there this week. But as Christians, will we be the change in our community? Will we foster community where there is none in our streets? God has placed you in a particular house. He's sovereign, he's in charge in a particular house, in a particular neighbourhood, in this particular town, with particular neighbours. It's no accident. He saved you, he's transformed you by his spirit and he sent you to live your whole life as worship in particular places and contexts. What an awesome privilege. One idea, particularly when thinking about neighbours, why don't you try and invite your neighbours around at Christmas? Put a note through the door, mince pies, mulled wine, get to know them. Find out how you may be able to love and serve them. We're to work for the the peace and prosperity of our town in what is a highly individualised culture. Loving your neighbours yourself is a radical revolutionary vision here from Jesus. Imagine our town full of people. Loving their neighbour as themselves. Imagine our town where people care about others more than them. Care about their, uh, others' comforts more than their own comfort. Others' security more than their own security. Who bless people with their time, with their skills. And so much of this is going on. But imagine this tenfold. A town where people who need care are cared for. Where the lonely are loved and where the downtrodden are lifted up. How can we be a transformed people who work towards transforming our town. It's a big vision. It's a hard one. And it may seem impossible. So finally, let's look to the source of our power to do all this. Live life in the context of eternity. The motive for this kind of radical love is the time that we live in. Verse 11, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than then we first believed. This is a time we live in, friends. Our salvation is near. It's getting nearer. We're called here to live in light of eternity. It's what helps shape how we live today. To remember that Jesus' return is really close in the grand scheme of things. We're dual citizens. Living in one world whilst knowing this is not our eternal home. We need to shape our decisions. Shape how we spend our time, shape how we spend our money, shape what we do. 
It's why also we don't need to get too het up about governments. We can remember that it will fade away and Jesus is still king. This perspective is the motivation to live as we've been called to live as a new people. As we're reminded of the power to live radical lives of love and submission. You see here verse 12 to 14. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. When you go to a wedding... You dress up, or you normally do, uh, and often you do it with a bit more dignity and formality, don't you? If you turned up in joggers, it would be comfortable, um, but you'd look quite silly. It would be inappropriate, wouldn't it? We as Christians need to remember who we're wearing, what he did for us, what he wanted for us, and what it cost him. As we do this, it will transform us. Paul is saying here, clothe yourself with Christ. We looked at it in Romans 6, to count ourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus, that is who you are. That is your identity. You are clothed with Christ. So remember who you're wearing in everything you do, in your attitudes to the government, to the community. Remember where you're going. Remember who you are. So go about living out that identity. Kill sin, as we're reminded here. Let yourselves be preoccupied and dominated with Jesus as we let the Spirit do his work in us. We'll be transformed more and more into his likeness. We won't help but be able to love our neighbour. We won't help but be able to submit with calm respect. The magnificent, awesome, all-powerful, all-loving Jesus, who has dominated the letter to the church in Rome, is the one we called ourselves to be clothed with. Daily. As we live in this world where it is complex, it is confusing, it's hard to think about how to live, isn't it? About how to parent about how to submit or not to submit, about how to love our neighbours. Put on Christ. Look in the mirror and remember. Maybe that's a help this week. Every time you get dressed and you look in the mirror, say to yourself, I'm putting on Christ. I'm putting on his forgiveness. I'm putting on his peace. I'm putting on his love. Free gifts given to those who believe. And so now I can live in this world in a radically different way, knowing he's with me every step of it. I'm putting on then his character because I feel safe and loved and secure. I'm putting on his utter love for the other ahead of himself. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. I'm putting that on. And I'm going to live a life of joy and love as I live with Christ every moment of every day. A life where I care more about others than myself just as he did. Let's put him on this week. Let's go and live a life of love in our society, in our community. Let's think about it. Let's apply it. We're going to do that in a minute. But I'm going to pray while the band get up and we're going to sing. We're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. We're going to sing about clothing ourselves with the armour of Christ we looked at here. We're going to sing about how as Christ is our vision, it transforms how we live. It transforms how we act. I'm going to say let's use that as our prayer. It's a great song. Uh, Let's stand, let's sing, and let's pray this as our prayer in light of what we've looked at today.